This podcast may contain explicit language. Welcome to the Greatest Movie of All Time podcast, the show that uses a unique grading style to redefine what the greatest movies are. I'm Tom Duncan. And I'm Dana Duncan. Tonight we apply our patent-pending Stanley rubric to Victory from 1981, directed by John Huston, written by Evan Jones, and Yabo Yablonski, starring Sylvester Stallone, Michael Caine, Max von Sydow, and Pele. However, quickly before we get to the show... Next week, we will be discussing a little film you might have caught on cable TV once, A Few Good Men, directed by Rob Reiner, written by Aaron Sorkin, starring Tom Cruise, Demi Moore, Kevin Bacon, Kevin Pollack, Kiefer Sutherland, and Jack Nicholson. You won't want to miss that one, so watch ahead of the show by searching the Real Good app to find where it's streaming for you. That's R-E-E-L-G-O-O-D. You can also email the show at greatestalltimemoviepodcast at gmail.com to sign up for our newsletter or find us on Instagram, Twitter, or now TikTok at the handle at gmotepodcast. And as always, please like, follow, rate, and review the show on whichever podcast platform you use. We would really appreciate it. All right, Dad, so let's turn our attention to Victory. What is your relationship to this movie? Well, you've commented repeatedly that it's new for both of us. It's not new for me. It wasn't new for me. I saw this movie in about 1982 when it was on HBO. I liked uh, Stallone at the time, and I liked Michael Caine, so I thought I would watch it. At that time, I thought, um, I've seen better movies. This is kind of boring. It's not like it was overly memorable, This the final scene of the riot, more or less, was the only thing I had a real good memory of, other than who was in it. And that's my relationship. I had never heard of the film before that, and I was a regular moviegoer in high school. I have to admit, six months ago, I did not know about this film. It was only through listening to another podcast series that's very popular that I even heard about this movie, and it got me interested in trying to see it. And so I thought, Hmm, we had to throw or tack one on at the back end of Sports Movie Month. Let's throw this one on because soccer is not a sport that there are a lot of great movies about. I think uh, maybe Bend It Like Beckham is, might be the only one that comes to mind outside of this. With that being said, what is this movie about? Uh, it's the great escape with soccer. Well, I think that the mashup that I kept seeing in some of the reviews was The Great Escape meets The Longest Yard. Okay, I can see that. I mean, to the simple fact that Stallone ends up escaping and going out and and scouting out the method by which they're going to try to plan their escape, it was the same as in The Great Escape with Steve McQueen. I mean, Stallone is nothing more than Steve Steve McQueen's character. He even gets put put in solitary confinement. It's like complete ripoff uh, in a large sense of portions of this film. I don't know. I, I really couldn't find a great source of what this movie was about. It seemed disjointed and not really sure of what it was supposed to be about, other than we were going to throw in some soccer stars. So if I was going to place my finger on anything, it was... Survival in a prison camp is just as much about having hope and purpose as it is surviving the boredom. 
Sure. I mean, that's cleaning it up because realistically, there's no great through line for this movie other than that they played a soccer game. <laughs> and uh, the uh, French people rose up and in, in, uh... stormed the field like they just beat the number one team in the world. Yes. I don't know. I, I, there's not a whole lot more delve into on the how you would pitch this movie exactly other than... I mean, it does credibly have some of the best soccer scenes I've seen in a movie, but that's not saying much. <laughs> do you have uh, a plot summary ready for us? Oh, I do. Well, touring a prisoner of war camp, Major Carl von Steiner, Max von Sydow, notices a team of prisoners coached by Captain John Colby, Michael Caine, a former professional English player. Van Steiner proposes a friendly game between the Germans and the prisoners. When Colby ultimately accepts, the German propaganda machine smells an opportunity to have a major coup and schedules the game in Paris. Several prisoners join the team, including Captain Robert Hatch, Sylvester Stallone, and Corporal Luis Fernandez, Pele. The prison camp leadership realizes that they may use this game as an attempt to have the team escape. When Hatch proposes his own plan, the leaders convince him to communicate with the underground and to set up the escape attempt. Thank you. And I have to admit, I can't imagine having to try and write something that is a supposed plot synopsis for this because it's it's just that disjointed. But kudos. Cast for this movie, John Huston as director, Evan Jones and Yabo Yablonski as writers, Bill Conti as composer, Sylvester Stallone as Captain Robert Hatch, Michael Caine as Captain John Colby, Pele as Corporal Luis Fernandez, Bobby Moore as Terry Brady, Osvaldo Ardiles as Carlos Rey, Paul Von Himst as Michel Filou, Kazimierz Dana as Paul Wolchek, Havlar Thorison as Gunnar Hilson, Mike Summerby as Sid Harmer, Co-Prins as Peter Von Beck, Russell Osman as Doug Kluwer, John Wark as Arthur Hayes, Soren Lindstedt as Eric Ball, Kevin O'Callaghan as Tony Lewis, Max Von Sydow as Major Carl Von Steiner, Gary Waldhorn as Hopman Rainer Mueller. Recognition for this movie, Victory debuted on July 31st, 1981 and garnered a domestic box office of $10,853,000. Victory currently holds a 63% on Rotten Tomatoes and a 57% on Metacritic among the critics. The film received great attention upon its theatrical release, as it also starred professional footballers Bobby Moore, Osvaldo Ardiles, Casimir's Dana, Paul Van Himst, Mike Summerby, Havlar Thorson, Werner Roth, and Pele. Did you know? The original draft of the script was a serious drama, based on the true story of a group of allied POWs challenged to a football match by the Germans. The deal was that if the Germans won the match, the POWs would be set free in Switzerland. However, if the POWs won, they would be shot. The POWs decided to go for victory, won the match, and were consequently executed. Did you know? The movie was inspired by an actual series of games in Kiev during the German occupation of the city. Several members of Dynamo Kiev, the top football team in Ukraine, found work in a bakery. 
There they formed a football team with other bakery employees. They began playing in a new league against teams supported by the Ukrainian puppet government and German military. After they beat a team from the local German Air Force base, the league was disbanded and several of the team members were arrested by the Gestapo and four were executed. Did you know? Sir Michael Caine admitted that the only reason he agreed to make the movie was the opportunity to work alongside footballing legend Pele. Did you know? Apart from acting in the movie, Pele also assisted in choreographing all the playing actions in the climactic game. Did you know? Osvaldo Ardiles said that the 47-year-old Sir Michael Caine and his soccer skills were, quote, awful, and he couldn't even run 20 yards. (laughs) Did you know? The MTK Stadium in Budapest, Hungary, was used to play the Stade Columbes, Columbus Stadium in Paris, France, where the movie's climactic football match takes place. The producers had had difficulty finding a large stadium without floodlights, as floodlights at football stadiums were largely unknown until well after World War II. The MTK Stadium, now known as the Hidegkuti Nandor Stadium, was the biggest one without lights but at the same time structurally similar to continental stadiums that were around during World War II, that they could find. The stadium today is the home of the NTK Hungaria Football Club. Did you know? Director John Huston hated the movie and admitted he only did it for the paycheck. With that, we will take our first break, mercifully, and be right back. Welcome back. Thank you for rejoining us. If you dropped after the commercial break, I understand. Best performance for you, Dad. <laughs> well, there were so many great performances. He says, uh, with a degree of ire. <laughs> Quite frankly, I thought the script was so full of plot holes and problems. Let's save some of those, but yeah. give, throw out your biggest ones, I suppose. Okay. For example, Colby is so against uh, escaping and it's all about the football. And then all of a sudden he's all in and there's no effort to explain why or his change of heart. That's number one. Number two, you're standing there and you can walk out of a prison camp and escape. Oh, no, we're going to go back and play the Germans who have beaten us senseless because the referees are in on the uh, uh, fixing the match. Well, who in their right mind does that? Especially risking death for the potential to show them up. I mean, that doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever at all. Not to mention, the other thing about Colby, isn't it the duty of every officer to attempt to escape? Colby's a captain. Yes. <laughs> Oh, I mean, it's just kind of ludicrous. Then, of course, I'm like, I forgot about this part. Pele gets hurt. So um, he comes out of the game because he's hurt. But they don't substitute. Because apparently they only had the five Eastern Europeans, and they were so malnourished that they couldn't substitute somebody in reasonably. But it also allows for Pele to come back near the end of the game. Yes, that's why they did it that way. Because if they substituted somebody, they, then Pele can't come back in and win things for them at the end. I mean, well, then why just, take him off in the first place? 
because it's dramatic. I don't know. It's 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 it makes no sense. You would so never contrived. see that in a sac- soccer game ever, ever. <laughs> yeah, I and, say this as a soccer fan. And of course, let's talk about the fact that the Germans will not allow you to have a backup goalie. So you have to break your regular goalie's arm in order to have Stallone show up with you to help trigger the escape attempt. I mean, we're <laughs> you'd have to have a backup goalie. That one was not as unreasonable to me because I'm sure they would have allowed a backup goalie. As long as it wasn't Hatch, you had to prove that he was somehow going to be the guy. But also, just because that Hatch can't be your number one goalie, he is somehow a competitive disadvantage. Have has anybody watched Stallone actually play sports? <laughs> uh, I know. And, and of course, why is it that all the other prisoners show up at the stadium? I mean, what a security breach. They're not going to just bring a bunch of prisoners to the stadium and let them watch without having guards around them. And that was another one that I'm like, what the work? And then, of course, Stallone Runner goes on the field and meets up with the woman who was he was using her safe house. Because Why? Because, I don't know, in the middle of all this, you have to have Stallone have a love interest. Well, that's usually trying to play to a female audience, particularly in 1981. I mean, I don't want to be mean, but that's usually what Hollywood is trying to do by throwing in a romantic angle. That's why they had Stallone running around without a shirt through half of the film. But here's the other thing. If you're going to pump in the crowd noise, why do you need spectators? (laughs) you're just running the risk of exactly what happens at the end of the movie yes and how does not one german soldier fire a shot in all of that (laughs) okay so we so i guess our last segment of uh, (laughs) is uh has been moved up just significantly anyway So who was your best performance going I'm giving, back? I'm giving it to John Huston because he may have mailed it in and not liked the film, but at least he made it interesting enough so they sat through it without like starting to watch videos on my phone or something because, wow. So that's why. He did a lot with a really poor script. Mine was Pele because the only interesting thing about this movie was watching him play soccer. <laughs> Not to mention, if he choreographed all the soccer stuff, that was the only interesting part of this movie. So I think he's by far and away the only choice I could have really made. By the way, I actually happened to be in Rio de Janeiro one time and was on the field that uh, Pele started his soccer career. He was in the uh, slums of uh, Rio, and so I got to be on the field where Pele started. Pele afterwards came back and fixed it all up and made it into a public stadium so that kids from the from the projects could go and play soccer there. I mean, there's an argument that he's the greatest player to ever lace them up. I, I That's not the time nor place for this particular podcast. Anyway, best secondary performance. Again, it was a real, you know, it was a real toss-up trying to figure out which 
actor mailed in their performance less. So I went with Stallone because at least he had some comic range and had to actually have some romantic elements at one point in time. So he actually showed more than one emotion. So I'm going with him for secondary performance. I went with Michael Caine. I thought he was the most believable, even though a lot of the decisions his character has to make, we've already said, don't make sense. But at least he seemed like he was the most believable character out of all of these, other than maybe some of these like side characters, like the ranking officer at the prison camp. I don't know. I mean, your, your stars all seemed kind of lukewarm at best in this particular movie. Most charismatic, I went with Stallone because... I, I think he was the only star you could ever say was somewhat charismatic, and that was his only contribution to the film. I went with Stallone also, but I still want to, I still, I heard the reasoning that supposedly an American in a Canadian uniform serving with the British Army. I, I'm like, huh? <laughs> <laughs> because... You know, obviously, a lot of Americans just went to Canada and joined the army in 1938, because that's exactly what he said. They had to do some script engineering just to get a couple of these guys into the movie. Like, all of a sudden, Pele's from Trinidad? <laughs> or Delays is doesn't have a country? Because <laughs> Argentina wasn't in the war? I mean, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I know. Oh, and they're housing Swedes at the uh, prison camp all of a sudden? <laughs> Where did that come from? Because it wasn't like the Swedes were actively involved in the combat. <laughs> well, kind of, but not like to that extent, clearly. I don't know. Uh, yeah. All right. Best scenes. I basically skipped the first half of the movie. The first <laughs> half of the movie is almost unwatchable. <laughs> It's so flippin' boring. So the first scene that I have to propose is Hatch's first escape, because at least there's some moments of tension. Is he going to make it out? And, you know, the plan to get through the showers, kind of maneuver his way around, get on the side of the car, roll off to the side of the road, etc., etc., etc. I mean, yeah, it it's at least worthy of, I guess, some nomination if you're going to nominate something from this movie. I thought that I, I would agree that's a significant scene and pretty good because uh, apparently they had the most stupid Germans they could find as security because Stallone's French accent was so unbelievable. I can't imagine other than a complete moron that they would have believed that he was French. Honestly, that would be its own comedic uh, stand-up <laughs> routine. Stallone doing a French accent. <laughs> Uh, we Adrian. <laughs> you can change. We. Oh, oh, oh. I can change. Oh, oh. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> My next one was Renee and the Resistance. Even though that seemed like an awfully forced scene in there, it was the only one that had some level of emotional stakes throughout the course of the movie. Then all of the other scenes are basically nominees from the game. First half, halftime. Second half, final penalty, escape to victory. Yes. 
<laughs> I mean, okay. Yeah. Favorite scene for you? <laughs> oh, this was this was tough. I, I went with uh, the second half simply I because I, I kind of enjoyed it. Or once I let my mouth stop going, my I picked up my jaw from when they said, "No, let's go back and and win instead of escaping." <laughs> You're down four to one. You score two goals in the early part of the second half, and then you wait like until basically the dead last minute of the game in order to tie it up. That gets called off. You score another goal, and the climactic point of this movie, called victory, is that you tie. <laughs> I mean, if there's a favorite scene, it's the second half, but it's also my most indelible moment. We got to see Pele do a bicycle kick in the game. That's the only notable thing about this stupid movie. Well, <laughs> and my uh, most indelible moment is the uh, crowd riot. Because when you mentioned this film and I was going, yeah, I've seen it. That was the only thing I remembered was is there was a riot and they all escaped during the riot. So obviously that's the most indelible moment for me because it's the only thing I remembered. <sighs> all right. Before we move on to the rest of our stuff, let's take our second break, and uh, we'll be right back. All right, before we get back into discussing this movie, Dad, do we have anyone to remember this week? Yes, uh, unfortunately, we have three. First is Liz Sheridan, uh, 93, American actress. She was on Seinfeld's, best known for playing uh, Seinfeld's mother. She was also an elf and uh, played the game. A uh, longtime character actress with m- multiple credits of stage, screen, and television. Hollis Resnick, uh, 67, was an American singer and actress. Uh, she appeared in the film Backdraft, which was directed by Ron Howard. And lastly, uh, Rio Hackford, 51, an American actor. Jonah Hicks, Swingers, uh, The Mandalorian, among others. He um, was in... Uh, Pretty Woman is his first film where he played a street junkie is a little snippet, but he's best. He's also known for the fact that he was the son of director Taylor uh, Hackford uh, and the stepson of Dane uh, Helen Mirren. Uh, Hackford had directed scene or films such as uh, Against All Odds and Officer and Gentleman. And uh, uh, his son Rio uh, appeared in a lot of uh, his dad's films. Apparently it was a long illness, but uh, he was working like up to just a few months before his death. So I don't know exactly what type of illness it was, but. Um, I think from a statement I read, it was a rare form of cancer. Hmm. Okay. But in case Star Wars fans are wondering what role he played in The Mandalorian or you're trying to look him up, because I could not place him at all when I decided to look him up, knowing that he was supposedly from the series. He did the voiceover for IG-11, which is one of the robots in the show. We finally remember all three of these for their contributions to all of these movies, shows, and other things that we've loved and take a moment of silence here in their honor. Thank you. All right, best funniest lines. 
do you even have any nominees? Well, I mean, I had a hard time coming up with two. Yeah, I I have one. This frickin' game is ruining my life. Okay, at least you came up with a different one than the two I did. There's one, I guess, common moment between Von Steiner and Colby. What's the verdict on Williams? A regrettable mistake. The whole bloody war is a regrettable mistake. I agree. That's probably the best written conversation in the entire movie. And the other one, again, a hatch line. Where do I stand for a corner kick? I had that one too. So out of those, <laughs> I mean, that's the best you could get for a nearly two-hour movie. <laughs> this freaking game is ruining my life. You already had that. That's my favorite. Okay. You ready to go to the Stanley rubric? Oh, sure. All right. Legacy is up first. Uh, the public. I had to give it a one. I don't think if you would have mentioned this film to anybody in the general commonplace, they would even remember it. I mean, I'm a film nerd, and I had to stop and go, uh, yeah, I have seen it. I can't remember anything about it other than there was a riot at the end and it had Pele, Michael Caine, and Stallone. I didn't even remember Max von Sydow being in it. But anyway, so I went with a one. For the industry, the only reason I'm giving it a three is they're apparently going to do a remake. There's a script floating around, and they're going to do a remake. Oh, God. Okay, the only way I would bother to see that movie is if, for whatever reason... Tom Hanks or Steven Spielberg get their hooks in this. Mm. Seriously, they're the yeah. World War II guys. Uh, apparently there's a sequel to Greyhound that Tom Hanks is making for Apple now and his other TV show, which is about, I think, bomber pilots in Europe, is coming out on Apple pretty soon. So they at least have a track record where I'll trust them with something and maybe they'll actually write the original script, which I'll get to here in a minute, but would have actually created some emotional stakes that made this movie at least worthwhile. I agree with you. From an audience perspective, I hadn't heard of this freaking film until about six months ago. And I mean, I know a lot of movies. I've heard of a lot of movies. I didn't even know this thing existed. I didn't know this was like in the filmography of some fairly nominal actors. I gave it a two because of the amount of stars that are in it. And because some of the soccer legends appeared in it and it's like one of their few big works so at, at least for the time and for the signif or significance of having all of these guys together i'll give it a two but that's a three for me and i came up with a four so it's a 3.5 average between us impact significance i'm gonna tell you it's not much higher Minimal box office, marginal critic reviews, the big-name actors didn't have their careers affected at all, and the director mailed it in. I'll give it a 1 for industry and a 1.5 for the audience. I went with uh, a 2 for the public because it did more than double its budget, and I went with a 1 for the industry. So, so yeah. So that's a 2.75 average between us. Good God. This might compete for last on the list. Novelty. 
So this is somewhat of an original story, but it's because it's an amalgamation of a lot of different parts of World War II stories. Yes. I think the original story, again, would have been much better. It had greater stakes. You could have at least had it grounded in some reality. It would have had a tragic ending that I think people could have gotten behind. And you could have done some different things, but you decided to make it somehow a feel-good movie for a sports movie set during World War II about prisoners in a German war camp. <laughs> I, okay. In the end, this is derivative. We already said it's the great escape meets the longest yard. So I'll go with five, but with an added point for how well choreographed the soccer playing seems to be thanks to Pele. So for a six. Well... I had a five. So go with a five. All right. And I had and I had to say that kind of how the the soccer was was choreographed gave it a bump up because quite frankly, some of the soccer and how it was done, and the fact of course that Stallone, who's barely ever been a goalie, somehow makes a save on a penalty kick, which I'm not a huge soccer guy, but even I know how that's almost insane that that actually happens. He doesn't save even a good penalty. They probably told him exactly where the ball was going to be kicked because there is no way in hell that he stops one out of 100. So that's why I couldn't go above that. So it's a 5.5 average between us. All right, then let's move to classicness, your category. Well... <laughs> it I don't know where to go with this. I mean at least yep. you know we have Pele in it, so we have a diverse cast. We have East Europeans who look uh famished. The Germans come across as being only semi cruel and overly militaristic, so I think they got sanitized. There's one woman in the entire film. And of course, her value is simply by falling in love with Stallone. <laughs> I quite frankly, I went with a uh, a, a five. I, I just can't go anything more than that because there's, it just whitewashed everything so much. Made prison camp look eh. uh, the the ger- or, you know we have a good German as one of the heroes of the film. I don't know. It just portrayed World War II much differently than I had envisioned it. Agreed. I think the biggest problem with this movie and why it's not classic is it's not really based on anything. It's a composite of a lot of different random stories, but no one like really that much more contributing towards this than any other. It's just a lot of small things and rumors, and then you put this all together to make kind of a fictional movie that doesn't really make a whole lot of sense, and it's rather far-fetched. While this movie doesn't have the normal quote-unquote cringeworthy stuff that we look for, the scene with Renee seems awfully clunky and unnecessary. Going back after halftime doesn't seem realistic at all. The reasons for even playing the game are thinly veiled at best, and the writing is just terrible. So this seems like a medium effort film all around with a big budget, a bunch of stars, and star soccer players, but with a low effort attitude. I can't really go too much higher, so I looked at a lot of other scores and said, 
all right, this seems reasonable for where I can find it on the spectrum of classicness. So I went with a 4.5. It's not as bad or as cringeworthy as some other things that we're going to eventually talk about because it doesn't have anything truly terrible, but it's certainly not like among the great classic films of all time. So that's a 4.75 average between us. Oy. Oh, here comes rewatchability. Yes. Go ahead. What did you have? No, go ahead. I had a 3.5. Like I said, the first hour is utterly unwatchable. After only about the beginning of the game, does this movie even start to take off, but it's still lackluster. There is terrible defense throughout all of the soccer choreography intentionally, but it's still, I I don't know. I wasn't as bored in this as say the Terminator or the greatest show on earth, but it wasn't that far off. So I ended up at a 3.5. Okay. I had to really think of where the bottom was in this category for me. Okay. And rewatchability, a one would be two films that I absolutely hate. St. Elmo's Fire and uh, Revolutionary Road. If either of those films came on, I would turn the TV off or would walk out, no matter what was uh, going to happen. In fact, almost to the point where I would leave by threat of death from other having to sit through those two films again. Okay, so that's one. Two is I would still want to leave and I might sit for a minute and not be rude. So three is if I can avoid it, I will. If it's still on, I'll watch it. So I went with a 3.5 because it's slightly more than if it's on and somebody is going to tell me I have to watch it, I will. Otherwise, I will never go out of my way ever again to watch this film. Agreed. All right. That was a 3.5 for Legacy, a three or a 2.75 for Impact Significance, 5.5 for Novelty, a 4.75 for Classicness. We tied on a 3.5 for Rewatchability, and the audience scores on this one, we had a 90% for Google users. I'm not sure who put in the reviews for that one. And 71% for Rotten Tomato users for an 8.05 score, adding up to 28.05 points. Do you think this beat out at least one movie on our list? I don't think so. It beat out one movie. It is still above the greatest show on earth. (laughs) Uh, This is the 108th movie on our list, and it is number 107. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. At least we have a good sense of humor about this. I think we've already handled all of the remaining questions, so do you just want to skip to thoughts for the week? Yeah, I guess. So any thought on when you're uh, going to be doing your uh, challenge? Again, you're just going to keep bringing this up every week? Yes, I am, because I've got to enjoy my victory. You beat me at so many things that I, you know, when I have a chance to win, I need to really enjoy it. Okay. That's fine. I put it in last week's newsletter. Okay. Yeah. I did that intentionally, knowing you would do this again, and so that way I could point out, oh, you didn't read the newsletter. I forgot we had a newsletter. 
It goes to your fucking email every week. Which account? My office or my personal? Both. I have never seen it in my email. I guess I'll have to look for it. Yeah. Uh, it was the one for Slapshot. I just did the one for the Waterboy this morning since that episode dropped. I can't imagine I'm going to have a whole lot to say about uh, this particular one on next week's newsletter. <laughs> Might need to do some filler. Yeah. Anyway, uh, as far as that goes, I gave a recommendation for a show last week. This week, I'm just going to kind of give a general impression on... I guess shows ending. I have a lot of shows and some of them are network TV shows, but there are a few other ones that are coming to the end of their run. Uh, some shows that I've been involved with for quite a long time at this point. This is us. Blackish just ended yesterday. I, you know, modern family, I think has been off for a couple of years now, but I'm just kind of getting around to finishing up that show. And it just is kind of this weird feeling every time that you finish a show that you feel kind of empty. I know that uh, they coined the phrase a few years back, show hole, but it just kind of weirdly feels that way. It's so exciting sometimes to start a new movie or a new show that could become something more and what the possibilities and uh, extents could be that you don't want something to end. And especially when you spent years upon years with certain characters, they feel somewhat familiar to you and somewhat... I, I wouldn't say they're like family or anything else, but you know them a lot more intimately than probably some of your own friends because of how they're portrayed on TV. And so it does leave you with a little bit of nostalgia for what the show has been and where it could have been. And not many of them are able to strike a great tone. And so that's why I always appreciate a, a good TV show that can end well, because it's really not a easy thing to end a TV show well given what you're always going to have from the expectations of fans, especially in the modern era and with social media. Yeah, I, I understand what you're saying. And to a large extent, a show that you've bought into and become a fan of, it's a friend. And when the show stops, you lose that friendship. And to some extent, there is a period of mourning. There's a grieving process. I mean, I've experienced it when MASH ended. I experienced it when Cheers ended. A few other shows that I was in or involved in that ended, Family Ties. Um, to some extent, All in the Family. You know, you just kind of feel. I mean, I'll admit I teared up when MASH ended because it had been so... I mean, I re remember watching the first episode and I watched it every time it was on. Watch the reruns even. Most people don't even remember reruns hardly anymore, but but it is. You have that that feeling that you've lost a friend. So I understand. More or less my point is to enjoy when some things come back or while you're in the moment that you're getting to experience and explore new things with these shows. I mean, I have a few more coming back this week. Barry is coming out on HBO, a show that you and I both love. The Flight Attendant is dropping tomorrow. So we have some new stuff to explore, and there's plenty of great TV. Is so much good TV on right now, it's hard to watch everything that's relevant. But it just always does leave me with a little bit of emptiness every time something ends, because I agree with you. There is 
a friendship there. And while you can revisit it and rewatch it, and especially in the era of streaming, you could kind of go back and watch stuff in, in syndication more or less. It's just never quite the same as when you get something new from that, that relationship. And so I don't know. It's uh, kind of a weird feeling right now to have some of these staples of my TV viewing ending. Where are you headed, cowboy? Nowhere special? Nowhere special. I always wanted to go there. Next week, we will be discussing a little film you might have caught on cable TV once, A Few Good Men. Directed by Rob Reiner, written by Aaron Sorkin, starring Tom Cruise, Demi Moore, Kevin Bacon, Kevin Pollock, Kiefer Sutherland, and Jack Nicholson. You won't want to miss that one, so watch ahead of the show by searching the Real Good app to find where it's streaming for you. That's R-E-E-L-G-O-O-D. Please like, follow, rate, and review, or whatever on whichever platform you have so that you can join in on our fun. You can also email the show at greatestalltimemoviepodcast at gmail.com to sign up for our newsletter, or find us on Instagram, Twitter, or now TikTok at the handle at Podcast. Greatest Movie of All Time is a production of Ronnie Duncan Studios. Our show is mixed, edited, and written by Thomas Duncan. Our music is thanks to Purple Planet Music. Our technical provider and distributor is Captivate FM.